be seated. Well, good morning. Okay, so I could just do that all day, and how about we just skip what I'm going to say and we just do that all day because I love it. So my name is Steve Hamas, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm one of the elders here at Shiloh, and my wife and I also lead a small group here. And today we are in the third week of our series called The Names of God, and we are taking some of the names of God. There's a bunch, but we're only going to take some of them for our series and just get into the Old Testament names and talk about what they mean and how we can apply them to our lives. And Kevin started off week one with Jehovah Yahweh, and he talked about the great I Am, and that there are three, three names that are commonly synonymous with that, which is Elohim, Yahweh, and Adonai. Then Pastor Greg took off next, the following week, and he talked about Jehovah Nisi, which is the Lord is my banner. And Pastor Greg, we had awesome conversation about that in our small group. That was a great message if you haven't listened to it. Um, Great topics in our conversations in small group too. And this week I chose Jehovah Mekodishkam, kind of because I wanted to learn how to say that word, but not, not entirely, but it's the Lord who sanctifies you. And we each kind of got to choose what we wanted to talk about. And this has just been stirring in my life. And when I saw that, it's, it's like, yes, I want to talk about that one. So we are going to dive in today. So this word sanctify, what, what does it mean? So I went to the dictionary and pulled up the, the definitions. And let's just go through them. So to make holy, set apart as sacred, consecrate. To purify or free from sin. To impart religious sanction to to entitle to reverence or respect, to make productive or conducive to spiritual blessing. So it's this whole idea of setting apart, right? So the first time that we see this, this whole idea of the Lord who sanctifies you, is in Exodus 31, 12 through 14. And I'm going to read this. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. So we're going to dig into this whole idea. So I grew up in the Catholic Church, and my family's devout Catholics. They have an awesome faith. But when my late teens came in my early 20s, my faith kind of waned. I, I went to church less and less and kind of waned, and I've shared my testimony here before that. My wife and I started to go to this Christian church on Monday nights to a Bible study. Nobody, nobody went to church on Monday night. <laughs> so we went on Monday nights, and there were probably 1,500 people at this church, all ages, whatever, and they had a band. I'd never seen a band on the stage, but we got saved. We got saved, and we became Christians by declaring the prayer that it says in the Bible that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So we became saved, and we, and we started to go to church. But I really wanted to get to know God deeper this time. And I wanted to know what it meant to have a, a real relationship with him. So we started to go to different things in church, and I started to hear words like sanctify, glorify, justify, walking out your salvation, and all these things, and I had no idea what they meant. And then we moved here, and my wife got a job working for Pastor Ed's company. And Pastor Ed was a lot younger then. As, as was I. So we, used to, we went to their small group, and I used to just bug the snot out of him with questions. What is this? How does that work? What's this? And he was so patient with me. I would have not been that way, but everything. And, and, but there was something about him that he had 
don't get all puffed up now. He had a godly wisdom to him and an insight that I could bring things, and he just had this insight to him that was layered with God on top, and it's like, where do you get that from? And then I met Pastor Greg. Pastor Greg has this methodical approach to life. I know, go figure, right? But he's got this methodical approach, but he too, you could bring a situation, and he could layer it with a godly insight, and they had patience. And then I met Tom Murphy. He was an elder here, and I met Pastor Don And I sat with these guys for two years before I joined to the elder board. And it was something about these giants in my faith that they had peace about things. And they they looked at situations and they would see it through God's eyes. And they knew what to do, but they had joy and they had a happiness. So I went to church for a long time. I was going to church and I did all the things that I thought that you were supposed to do when you became a Christian. I I cleaned up my life. I, I gave up murder. I gave up all these things that, that were tempting to me. Um, I started to work on my anger issues. I took my Bud Light hand-crafted beer can Christmas tree ornaments that I drank and made, and I hung them on my tree, and I got rid of them, and they were beautiful, but I got rid of them, and I did all the things that I thought you were supposed to do when you were a Christian, Right? And I would go to church, and I would see these people, and I would watch them, and they were worshiping, but they were really worshiping. They were like truly worshiping, and then I would hear people pray, and their prayers were just powerful, and they were anointed, and it's like, where do you get that from? I I guess I was comparing myself, which probably isn't smart, but I was comparing myself and, and just looking at them, and I felt like I was faking my faith. And I'm going to take a gamble that there's some of you in here today that are like that, that you're like, I see these people around me and and they seem to have something that I don't. I was saved. I knew I was saved because I said the prayer and I believe that Jesus was my Lord and Savior. But there was a piece missing and that's what I want to get to today. So let's break it down a little bit. When you became saved, if you've confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, two things happened the moment that you did that. The first is that you were justified. God, you couldn't be in the presence of God before because he's a holy God and you're not. (laughs) So when you became a Christian and you professed that, the instant that you did that, God now looks at you through the lens of his son. And Jesus paid the price for all your sins. So now you can be in the presence of God because you're justified in front of him. The second thing that happened was You were sanctified. But there's three facets of sanctification, which we're going to talk about. And the first is called positional sanctification. So I want to read you a scripture, and then we're going to chat about this. 1 Corinthians 6.11, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God took you, and he set you apart as holy. So first of all, I never saw myself as holy. That was God. That's a lofty term and a really reverent term. So on Friday, I sent a text out to about 25 people. 
Yeah, you're smiling, Dave. So, and I asked this question, I, people that I work with, people that I go here, and I said, if I were to ask you the question of, are you holy, how would you respond? And I got all these texts back, and some of the people gave a really good answer. They said, yes, I am. But about 70% of the people said, no, I'm not. And I got responses like this. Oh, goodness, I'm a work in progress. I screw up too often to say that I'm holy. Yes, I am, because I am full of holes, eye holes, ear holes, nose holes. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm not, but I can become more holy by following God. No, I'm striving to be, only if I've been shot. Only God is holy, certainly not me. So I got the whole smattering, but it's a little bit of a trick question, so we're, we're going to talk about that. You'll see why. So you are holy because you've been sanctified. So... I brought show and tell today, and I want to show you guys something. So I bought this. I bought this old sewing machine. This thing's old, older than us, Ed. Right? And it's, <laughs> it's super rusty. It, it, it doesn't even work. But I bought it, and it's mine. And I have a purpose for it. I'm going to consecrate this for a purpose. And it's the same thing when you professed that to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're my Savior. He bought you with a price. You're his. And you are consecrated. And that makes you sanctified because you're now set apart. This is mine. You can't take that away. You're a Father God's. You are a holy vessel. So don't let the enemy ever tell you that you're not holy. You are a holy vessel because you've been set apart. That's facet number one. The second one, the second aspect of sanctification, this is called positional because you have a position in Christ. The second is called progressive sanctification. And that is where we work out our sanctification in our everyday life by leading a holy life. And I think this is where it was a trick question for people because I think the 70% of them saw that question through the lens of, do I live a holy life, not am I a holy life? So let's, let's take a look at this for a little bit. Leviticus 27 says this, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you will keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You see, being holy being sanctified and being made holy is a process that will take place over the rest of your life. It doesn't mean that we don't sin. It doesn't mean that we make mistakes, but it means that we're set apart to follow God. We make mistakes, but we're always heading in the right direction. Right before Jesus died on the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this prayer to God the Father. And I'm going to read it to you out of the message version because it, it, it just speaks so much to me anyway. He said he was praying to Father that he would help us work out our sanctification by knowing truth. And the truth is the word of God. So he said this to God the Father. He said, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. But there's one thing about this whole process is that it requires our cooperation. 
It requires our cooperation with the Holy Spirit to want to become more like Christ and to live it out. I'm going to read two more scriptures. These aren't on the screen, but I'm going to read them. First Thessalonians 2.13, it says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that were taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. And then lastly, this one. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So there's a couple things about this, that because God is so holy, it automatically demands that you and I lead a holy life. That is the number one pursuit of God for you, that you would lead a holy life. God's more concerned for your godliness than he is for your giftedness. He's more concerned for the depth of your spiritual maturity than whatever ministry you're doing. He's more concerned for who you are than what you do, and he's more concerned about your character than your career. Your personal walk of holiness is the utmost important thing to him. And your willingness and cooperation in that to work with the Holy Spirit is how God writes history and is how God works out his plan for your life. So let me give you an example. Remember the book of Ruth? <clears throat> so Ruth married a man. He was, their family consisted mom, dad, and two boys. She married one of the boys. So she had father, mother-in-law, and brother and sister-in-law. They all lived in the same town. In a short span of time, dad died, brother-in-law died, husband died left the three women alone. Naomi, who's the mother-in-law, came to her two daughters-in-law, and she said, Girls, go get another husband and find happiness. I'm going to move back to my homeland where my people are, and you deserve a happy life. Go find a husband. Orpah, the sister-in-law, said, Okay. And Naomi said, No. Or not Naomi, Ruth said, No, Naomi, I'm going to go with you. I want to take care of you. They had a little back and forth. She says, no, go find a husband. And Ruth said, no, I'm going to go with you. So Ruth moves back with Naomi to Naomi's homeland. And she gave up her community. She gave up her friends. She moved to a place that she didn't know anybody. She didn't know the culture. She didn't know the people. But that was what she felt God was calling her to do. So she's there, and she's not even known by Ruth anymore. She's known by the girl that lives with Naomi. She's known by, yeah, uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law, that girl that lives with her. She gave up her identity. How humbling. But you know what? This was God starting the process. Rub. Take a little steel wool. He's going to fashion Ruth. Ruth goes from having food on her table every night where her husband would get food. They'd come out. They'd have a great community to where Naomi says, Go out in the field. I want you to follow behind the guys that are picking the harvest and pick up their scraps. And as she's doing so, she knows that they're purposely leaving pieces behind because they feel sorry for her. How humbling to go from that 
It's God, yeah, I, I want to teach you humility. I want to work on your character, Naomi. Or Ruth. And then Naomi says, oh, the man that you're picking up for in the field, he's actually a relative of ours. His name is Boaz. He's, he's a kinsman redeemer, which meant that when a woman in the family died, one of the other men was supposed to take her on as a wife to take care of her. And she tells Naomi, or Ruth, man, I've got to get this right by the end of today. She tells Ruth, hey, tonight when he's sleeping, I want you to go lay at his feet and, and he'll tell you what to do. And I'm sure that night when Ruth is walking up there to lay at the feet of a man, she's all, you know, I used to be loved by a man. Now I'm going to go lay at his feet and see if he'll take me on because he feels sorry for me. Because that's his duty. How humbling. But God's just working on her. Yeah, it is humbling. It's hard. It's hard, Ruth. She lays at his feet and when he wakes up, he tells her what to do to go back into town. And he goes to the elders in the town and he says, there's a guy ahead of me in line that's supposed to take her as his wife. Do you want that? And the guy says, no. And he says, okay, I'll marry her. So he marries her. God's just working away on Ruth. But you know, the only way that God works, the best way that God works is that he restores everything to her because not only did Boaz marry her, he fell in love with her. And they, she got back everything. She gave up everything to do the right thing. But I want to show you something. I bet Ruth never thought that she would be in the book of the Bible. She never thought that we'd be talking about her 2,000 years later. And I want to show you a genealogy. I want you to look at number 11. You put that up, Kevin. Look at number 11 in the genealogy, Boaz and Ruth. They had a son. He had a son. He had a son. I want you to go all the way down to number 41. Jesus. God worked out his purpose by setting Ruth apart, that she played a role in the lineage of Jesus. Do you think she ever thought that in the midst of going through life, in the midst of this hardship, that she could ever see how her sanctification would work out by leading a holy life? It's awesome. That's the only way that God works. But you see, holiness, and you and I are walking holiness, it's not about the perfection of our life. It's the direction of our life. But it has the two aspects of it, and this is my missing piece. <clears throat> Your personal holiness has two aspects, a negative aspect and a positive aspect. The negative aspect is that you're being called away from the things of the world. You're being called away from the things that are sins of the world and all the sinful things that make you impure, and you're being called to the things of God, the things of holiness, being able to know God better and more deeply. In the Bible, it talks about, a lot about putting off and putting on, where you put this off and you put this on. It's the rest of your life you will be putting off and putting on. Here's the secret. It's not one and it's not the other. It's both. It's both at the same time. And I'll tell you what I mean. So if I'm only concentrating on the things that I'm not supposed to do, I look at this and I say, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to do that. And that's all I'm working on. I become a type of person that I'm just looking to see the bare minimum that I can do to be able to get into heaven. And I'm concentrating on what I'm not supposed to do. 
On the other hand, if I'm only concentrating on the things that I'm supposed to do, I read the Bible, I listen to my CDs, I listen to worship music, and I do podcasts, but I'm not concentrating on that side of it. I become a legalistic person that just knows about the Bible, knows about Christ, but it's not alive in my life. I'm professing my faith, but I'm not possessing my faith. Does that make sense? It's both at the same time. So I want to give you an example of this. I realized the, whole, the missing piece that I told you guys about was the Holy Spirit. I've been on both sides of the camp. I've been on the side of the camp where I'm, just, I'm only concentrating on trying to lead a good life. I'm trying to do it in my own strength, right? And it's hard. You can't. I've been on the other side of the camp where I'm going to church and I'm, and I'm listening to worship music and I'm doing all this, but I'm not working on that side. Both sides felt empty. And when I was in church, I felt like I was faking it because I didn't really have the power of the Holy Spirit working in me yet. When I realized it was the power of the Holy Spirit and I started to really concentrate on both aspects of this, that's where the power came into my life. That's where it came alive. That's where it became joy. So let me give you an example. You guys are going to be physics majors by the time you get out of here. So there's a thing in physics called sympathetic vibration or sympathetic resonance. It's the same thing. Everything that you see has molecules in it. And all of those molecules are tuned to vibrate at a certain frequency. So this is a tuning fork. This is to the, I want to say letter, but it's the note A on a keyboard, right? Can you turn this up for me, Tyler? That's A. That's at 440 cycles per second. It goes like this. If I hit this tuning fork, I don't know if you guys can hear it. I don't even know where this is. Hear that? If I take this next to a piano string and go next to the note A, this vibration will hit the A string and the A string will start to vibrate. If I take this next to a D string, it won't do it. It's not tuned that way. Only to the A or to harmonics of A. When I became a Christian, the Holy Spirit was deposited into me. He's in there vibrating. And when I first received Jesus, it sounds like this. Because the enemy also has tuning forks in me. And my sinful nature responds to those other tuning forks, to lust, to greed, to jealousy, to gossip. All of those tuning forks are in me. But as I start to walk away from the things of the world and I start to reach out and put my hand on, the, on those other tuning forks to silence them, the one that starts to stand out becomes one. That voice inside me, that Holy Spirit inside of me, starts to be more recognizable because I'm snuffing out and I'm silencing all those other things in my life. Then... As I grow in my walk and I'm filling my walk with learning the truth of God's word and I'm going towards him and I'm going away from those things, when they start to come in, something's wrong. I hear this one better and I can better recognize, oh, snuff that one out. This is the enemy's job, you guys, to go like this. I wonder if Diane will still respond to this. He puts that in, and if that sinful nature is in Diane for whatever that would be, you're lucky I didn't pick one, right? <laughs> whatever that would be, if that sinful nature is still in there, it's going to start to resonate. 
But Diane, as she walks in her, out her sanctification, she's going to just go, yeah, that doesn't belong here. Put her hand over it and silence it. This is your progressive sanctification. This is where your power is when you start to walk towards the things of Christ and you start to learn the word and let it get in you. This becomes louder and louder in your life. And as you're walking away from those things, you'll start to recognize them and say, yeah, no, I don't do that. And the enemy every so often is going to do this to you. Stick it in and see if there's anything in there. But as you snuff it out, more and more it becomes less fun for him because you're not biting on it. And this is how you're walking out your walk with salvation and sanctification. You have one more aspect of it, and that's called perfected sanctification. When you die, that's when you go to heaven in front of Jesus Christ, and you will be perfect. You're a perfect, holy vessel in his life. In 1 Thessalonians 3.13, he says this, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. So as we close, I want to do one more thing. Greg, can I borrow you for a minute? How many of you guys are really good at remembering a name if you meet with somebody? How many of you are good name remembers? So I got one. (laughs) The rest of you are just like me. You're awful, right? If you meet somebody. So this is not meant with any disrespect. If you don't like it, email Pastor Greg. But this is, I'm, I'm a type of person, I need to have a way to visually remember something. If I meet you, and, and I don't know your name, but if you told me, I would have to find a way to remember your name. Otherwise, in 10 minutes, I won't remember. So this will help you, and I guarantee you, some of you guys are going to remember it this way. This is a dish. This is the Holy Spirit. Put the Holy Spirit in the dish. Ready? This is so cool. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> Make a dish. Come to me. Make a dish come to me. Ready? Get it? Have you got it yet? Make a dish come. Make a dish come. Get it? Make a dish come. That's his name. That's his name. Can you do the next? Make a dish come. The Lord who sanctifies. All right? Let's do it together. Ready? Make a dish come to me. Why not? Holy Spirit, come on. Make a dish come to me. Thank you. You got it? Make a dish come. All right. Now, you guys are Hebrew scholars. Make a dish come. When you think of that, right? That's so cool. Anyway, I want to just close by asking you a couple of questions, if, if we could. All right. Having the proper view of your sanctification starts with having the proper view of who you are in God. You are set apart. You are holy. No one can take that away from you. When God looks at you, God sees a holy vessel. Just knowing that should make you want to walk it out. Should make you want to walk out a holy life. And once you have that view, it helps you better understand just who you are where you're headed, and what you're supposed to do. A holy person is an awesome weapon in the hands of a holy God, and that's you. You're going to fail. You're going you're to drop the ball, but it's heading in the right direction, and it's both of these. I'm walking away from the things of God, from the things of the world to the things of God. It's, it's got to be both, you guys, and that's where you do that. 
You're not going to be faking it. You're not going to be imitating anymore. What's going to happen is it's going to be imparted to you. The very nature of Christ is going to be put on you. You're going to change. I used to have huge anger issues. And when I started to realize this and let the power of God work in me, I snuff out that anger. Every so often the Holy Spirit's like, and I just snuff it out. That's what we do. So let me ask you a question. I want to give you a minute here before we close. What in your walk, what in your personal sanctification, your progressive sanctification, walking this out, what's your roadblock? I promise you, if you ask the Holy Spirit, would you just show me? He'll show you. He'll show you. A lot of times when you're a new Christian, and you go, I have no idea how that works. The way it looks is as you start to walk away from things towards the things of God, there will be something in your life, there will be a circumstance, somebody will say something to you, and your old nature would go, Rah! but the Holy Spirit will say, no, no, don't say it, hold it. Why don't you pray for him instead? Weird things like that that you go, that wasn't me. That's the Holy Spirit. Something will prompt you, why don't you do this instead? That's the process. That's leading the holy life. So let's take a minute. What is it? Which end of the stick? If you have a barrier, some of you may not. Don't make one up if you don't. But if you do and you're going, I, yeah, I get that. I don't feel the power. I don't feel the presence. Maybe it's on the end of walking away. Maybe that you're not surrendering control of your life. For me, that was a big one to really say, there's some things that, God, I've been trying to do this, but I'm, I'm holding on to that. And the Holy Spirit came to me and said, you know what? It's time. Let that go. Put your hand around that tuning fork and let that one go. That's when it started to happen. So I want to I just give you a minute and just talk to God. Maybe you have too much noise in your life and you're not hearing what that is. Maybe, maybe you need to start getting into the Word because you're not, you know? So let's just sit for a minute and just you guys talk to God and see what He has to say to you. Father, I know that when we profess you as our Savior and you set us apart and we can have a relationship with you, we can be in your presence, we can cry out to you, we can talk to you because we have a position of sanctification where you look at us through the lens of your Son and we can have that relationship with you, Lord. But today I lift up our congregation here that each one of us, as we're trying to do what's right, as we're trying to walk out this holy life, Lord, we do mess up, and I thank you that you forgive us. But your, your view of our personal holiness is the most important to you because you are holy. God, I pray that you would work on the hearts of those here and just reveal to them how to do this. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would ring loud and true in our lives and our spirits, that you would be the overriding tone that we hear, that we would have the courage to reach out and silence those things in our lives that we've been hanging on to or struggling with in our own strength to try to get them out of our life. God, I pray that you would help us to just put our hand around and snuff it out. Holy Spirit, may you be the sole ringing voice in our hearts and our spirits. 
Help us to walk it out, God. Help us to walk it out. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. Jesus, thank you that you paid the price so that we could have this relationship with you. We pray that as we leave today that we're, we're reminded of our role, that we're to cooperate with you. And help us not to struggle. Help us to be able to step out in courage and in faith and to lead this life that you've called us to, even when it's not fun. I think of Ruth, and it wasn't fun for a while. It was hard, but there was a lot of work to be done, Lord. But you brought Ruth to the forefront, and you restored to her everything because you had a purpose before she ever knew what it was, that she would be on this chart of the lineage of your son. So, God, thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So in case you forgot, there's food downstairs. That's the best part, right? So you guys have a great day, and we'll see you next week.